What's up? Welcome back to the Ash Cheeks Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Taylor. It's Sunday. I've had a super productive weekend. I got a lot of shit done. And yesterday morning, I went wake surfing with my cousins. That was freaking awesome. I haven't been in about two years. And I was O for about 500, meaning um, every single time I got up, I wiped out. <laughs> but it was actually really fun. I am getting a lot better, so I'm excited to hopefully go again soon. Um, I did sustain a little injury, which I was really glad about. I literally, well, not glad that I sustained an injury. I mean, kind of. I actually ran into the boat. Like I got so close to the boat, I ran into it and somehow um, I fell I, or wiped out. I busted up my shin and that was about it for me. But um, I was actually glad that I busted my shin because I didn't want to just be a pussy and quit for no reason. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to try that again. I just love trying new things and that's what I want to do a lot of this summer. So um, so yeah, that was cool. I did a podcast. I recorded a podcast earlier this week with one of my dear friends, Nebras Hayek. She is just a freaking incredible woman. I was actually just sitting here listening back to the episode, and I thought I was going to make it through one episode without saying fuck, but nope. I sure didn't, and in fact, I said fuck like immediately. So scratch that. Um, but I'm excited for you guys to hear this conversation because, like I said, Nabras is an incredible woman. Uh, hearing her story and her background, well, let me rewind a little bit. I've already thought that she was an incredible woman, and now hearing her story, her background, and everything that she's been through and overcome and how it has shaped her into the woman that she is today just made me gain even more respect for her. And I'm excited to share that story. A lot of the things that I've talked about so far on this podcast the first couple of episodes was really just me getting used to podcasting in general and um, kind of trying to figure things out for myself. And so they've been kind of like lighthearted and more, I don't know, just trying to be entertaining. And um, But I do want to talk about some real shit. And that's, I want to have people on like Nabras who um, can really bring something to the show and can share a story and some insight that will be valuable to you guys. In this episode, we talk about her growing up in a war in Iraq, how her family escaped Iraq and traveled and lived in several different countries before coming to America. Um, we talk about her overcoming homelessness and how she graduated college with honors while she was in homelessness. Um, and then, like I said, overcoming homelessness and the boss-ass bitch that she is today with an incredible career how she got to Charlotte. I actually met her in Charlotte through bodybuilding. Uh, we talk about her career, romantic life, her family life. We also talk about women supporting women at the end, which is something that we both are pretty passionate about. So without any further ado, here's Nabras Hayek. Hey! Hey! <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for being here. Um, so let's, I'm going to... Share a lot of your story, whatever you want to share of your story today. Um, basically, I met Nabras. Actually, I saw you first at the gym. I think I had like a girl crush on you where I like <laughs> wanted to be friends with you, but I also won't ever talk to anybody at the gym. <laughs> well, I got to say that you always were smiling and I'm like, oh. See, I thought the same yeah. thing about you, but I thought I liked, 
like, I thought you were beautiful and you were like kicked ass in the gym. Like I always Aww. have respect for women that work hard in the gym, but you were always so, it's funny to me now knowing that like how you are, that you're the same as me whenever you work out, you want to go work out. You don't want to talk, <laughs> but like, I, I would have thought the opposite because of like your energy and you were, you were always smiling. Yeah. Always I, smiling. <laughs> I try to do that. So my thing is like a lot of times when I leave the gym, I will send like Instagram messages to people at the gym and apologize to them. I'm like, you know, when I, bitch. when I work out, I'm really focused. So I might've made eye contact with you and maybe didn't say hello, but I was listening to music. Cause I'm always self-conscious about that. I feel yeah. like people like think that you're not approachable if you're not smiling. So I just walk with a cheesy smile, yeah. <laughs> but you did the same thing too. And that's why I yeah. felt like you were very approachable. Yeah. We would kind of like smile and like wave at each other, whatever, but we didn't. We're just flirting with our yeah, eyes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, so I really like met you through bodybuilding because we both went to, uh, shout out to Lauren Adams. We went to her posing <laughs> Lauren <clinic>. Adams. <laughs> I have to say it with the accent. <laughs> yeah. And I, I remember um, when I, I was sitting in there and I didn't know anybody. And I like kind of hate situations like that. Like, yeah. And and then I saw you walk in and I was like, I don't know her, but I know like I, I know her. <laughs> and yeah. then um, uh, Marie, is it Marie? Newman? Mo, the judge. Mo, yeah, yeah. Mo Newman. She was giving a talk yeah. and you said something at the end, you were talking about being in the army, which we'll get into all that later too. And yeah. I was like, what? How cool. <laughs> so then I got the nerve. I felt like I was like going up and asking for somebody like on a first date. <laughs> and I was like, hey, I think you're not. I was I like, yes, yes, I'll marry you. <laughs> <laughs> can I please get your number? Maybe we can go out sometime. <laughs> I was like, you had me at hello. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, um, and then I found out whenever we went to the we went to the gym together like um, a week or so later, and I was talking about being in pharmaceutical sales. Yeah, and you were like, I work in pharmaceutical yeah. sales too. I was like, wait, I thought you were in the army. Yeah. So just gonna share a little bit about like Nat, where you are now, or maybe we should go back. I want to. Okay, so we're in the gym one day. I asked Nebras a question, I think, about, like, her family. And she was like, oh, it's kind of a long story. I'm going to send you this autobiography. Yeah. And she just said it very, very, very casually. (laughs) And she emailed it to me. And I kind of, the email address that it was sent to, I have, like, so much junk that goes to that. Which is why she gave me that email address, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) It's like giving a I'll never read it, Nebras. But you said it so casually, like, I don't know. I didn't even, it didn't really resonate with me, I think, what you had sent. So then whenever, like, that was weeks ago. That was maybe like a month or so ago. And then we were just, we had a really good conversation on Saturday. And um, I was like, I want you to come on my podcast and share some of this. And so then when I was kind of preparing for today, I went back and read um, her autobiography. And oh my gosh, this woman is so (laughs) fucking incredible. I feel lucky that I even get to like be friends with you and have like have you here. And so I know I want, um, Nebras also has her own podcast and she's doing a lot of different things and we'll get into all of that. But so I want her to be able to share her story and her time whenever she's ready. Um, But I do think for the purposes of what we're going to be talking about in this podcast later on, on women supporting women, um, I think that it's important for people to understand a little bit of your background because it really just makes you even more like people understand how much more incredible I think you are. I appreciate it. Um, so, well, yeah, let's start with where you're from and how you. 
Well, so I'm just going to go over the, the autobiography because now people oh, are yeah, going yeah. to think that anytime somebody asks me a question, I'll write them an autobiography. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is a paper that yeah. I wrote. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it was for something. Like, so hey, what, when is your yeah, birthday? Hold on, I'm going to have you read it. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, the autobiography. I'm so sorry, I'm not kidding. <laughs> read about me. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, the autobiography is a paper that I wrote for OCS, and OCS is an officer candidate school, and so to be commissioned as an officer, as a second lieutenant in the army. Okay. And then they ask for, to write about yourself, because eventually you're going to be a leader leading a platoon in a war if that happens so they really wanted to get to know the person and what leadership qualities you have and what you've gone through and how you um were able to overcome obstacles mm -hmm. so i wrote it in such detail and then whenever somebody that i feel like is genuinely interested to know about me anything about me i'm like hey read this yeah yeah <laughs> and then that's why i did that but um um but as far as my background so I am from Iraq. My nickname is Wacky Iraqi. <laughs> yeah. I did not give it to myself. <laughs> you didn't? I was going to it, it was It was a Chicago thing. So okay. like I used to go to events all the time. They're like, here comes the Wacky Iraqi. And it kind of <laughs> caught on. Yeah. Um, and I it's used catchy. to always hang out with this friend. She's Russian. And she's one of my best friends. Her birthday's coming up in a couple of days. And uh, so they start calling us Nablana because her name is Alana M. Nabra. So people give me the weirdest Nablana. nicknames. But so I was born in Iraq in Baghdad. And we came to America because my dad was a nuclear physicist for the Iraqi government. Um, we came through the American government. So it was um, kind of like an asylee mm -hmm. uh, status. And we came here and then we, I guess, started working toward the American dream. And How old were you when you came here? I was really young. Honestly, I don't remember, but I remember I was about to start high school. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So I was, I was really young. And the reason why it's all like vague in my mind, because we traveled the world, like we went to so many countries. I remember as a kid learning a new language in every place, I was like, this sucks. Like, I'm so tired of making friends. And then the next month I'm making new friends. And yeah. like, I would cry every time I was more emotionally attached to every place I went to than my, my brothers were. So it got to the point when I was like, please, God, just have a settle in one place. And then I have not left America for like 20 years. Now, did you have to move because you were? We were still on the journey of leaving Iraq and okay. making sure we're not found by the Iraqi government because at the time it was still like a thing. You yeah. know, that my dad was a nuclear physicist. There were two others that apparently were taken care of by the government. Mm -hmm. So we were the only ones. And the way we escaped Iraq, like my dad had to leave and we didn't know if he made it past the border for like so a while after. Yeah, it okay. was, was kind of like escaping, um, get a fake passport and everything. So it wasn't like an easy, just, hey, let's leave. Um, so finally it was between Germany and America. And then when America, um, we decided that America is going to be the place where we're going to settle down and they were going to protect us. And that's when... Um, you know, we decided to stay here, but it was just traveling from one country to other, trying to find our peace, trying to get yeah. into the process of. Whenever you say they were going to protect us, you mean the American government? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So my dad, when he came here, uh, we came on asylee status. They helped us process our papers for like the green card and citizenship and all that kind of stuff, which I was the only one in the family that didn't get on board with that. So I waited yeah. years before I did it on my own and it wasn't easy. I wish I would have done it with them, but <laughs> But I guess I, I didn't care because I knew that we're not leaving. And then we yeah. kind of are like to give you an example. I was supposed to go to Jamaica with friends for my birthday and I wasn't allowed to leave. 
because I haven't had my papers yet and they didn't want to, they wanted to make sure if I leave, I want to be, that I had to be a citizen. So I'll be protected by them. So like, I knew that I wasn't going to go. So I wasn't really caring so much about the green card and the citizenship and all that kind of stuff. But okay. Responsible of me, but. (laughs) (laughs) And then, um, First of all, you graduated, was it high school or something, with a 4.25 out of a 4.0 GPA? How the hell is that even possible? It's funny because I didn't speak English. So when I came you to didn't? America, when I came to America, I was like, you know, like complete fob. Like yeah. <laughs> everything I said was like, people were like, what? What did you just say? <laughs> what, what was that noise that came out of your mouth? Um, but I have to say, I, I feel, and my brothers will disagree with me, but they know deep inside they agree. I picked the, I, I pick up languages a lot faster uh-huh. than them. So in the dialect. So when I came to America, like I learned the American dialect really quickly. And um, when you, me and my two brothers, when we were in high school, we were studying ESL, which is English as a second language. And then gradually. In high school here? Yeah. And okay. uh, well, in oh, yeah, Chicago. Okay. okay. Yeah. And then uh, the principal actually contacted my parents and they were like, you know, your kids are very bright and it's really a shame that they're taking ESL because. Yes, they have an accent, and yes, they're still learning English, but they're with grammar and everything. They're better than American kids. So they upgraded us to regular English, and I aced that, so they moved me to honor English. But the teacher for honor English was so offended that somebody that doesn't speak English is in her class. Um, and that's like a whole different story. That, oh, wow, yeah. Um, there was a time when there was a topic that everybody had to write an essay and then read in front of the class. And I wrote an essay that was very touching. Uh Um, And I could see like tears in her eyes when she was like, you know, everybody was clapping for me and I was so happy. And like, finally, I felt like I was like welcomed in her class. in her class. Yeah. But um, the 4.25 is because the Iraq education, like everything we learned up until that point when I came to America was so much more advanced than, than it is in America. And so when I came here, everything was like, oh, this math, this algebra, oh, that's easy. And like I took pre-calculus and calculus in high school, and those are honor courses. And if you take them, it kind of adds to your GP, uh, GPA. Okay. Almost GPS. That's almost, GPS. Almost, almost said that. <laughs> People are like, well, how did she graduate? <laughs> right, right. She, uh, she was in honors English. <laughs> she doesn't know the difference. What high school GPS did she go to? Yeah, right. um, but yeah, so it was 4.25 because I took honor classes and on English and all the okay. stuff. So, um, but was yeah. it? Can, like when you said, so the education in Iraq is more advanced than here. Yeah. Okay. Did everything translate over? You said you really excelled in it's really uh, math funny. and science and yeah. Uh, the funny thing is, and I actually just said that recently to somebody because you know for the army you have to take the ASVAB test and then you have to take a GT score. Um, I think called AQFT. I really don't remember what they say, but they call it. But it's science and math and and word knowledge. Um. And I was telling somebody just recently, like I scored pretty high and everybody was like, well, that's a really good score. I'm like, well, you would have been a lot better if I understood what things meant because everything that was on it, I learned it when I was a kid in Arabic. So I had in my mind, as I'm sitting there being timed to take a, um, the, the test and it was like a three and a half hour test. And I was like, I had to translate things in my head. And I'm like, oh, that sounds like, it. because with science, it's not like, you know, what, the language we speak every day. Right. They were talking about planets. They were talking about organ, organisms. And, and I'm like, those are things that are so specific that I don't use daily. So I don't know what it means in English, but I'm pretty sure I knew it very well in Arabic. So, and that's why I felt like it, it, sometimes it, things do translate, but I never learned it in English. 
How many languages do you know? So I actually spoke a little bit of Spanish, and I spoke German as a kid. But yeah, because your parents spent some time in Germany. 28 years in Germany. Okay. Um, I speak Arabic, read and write. And, um, and as far as the military goes, they classify Iraqi Arabic as a language, Egyptian Arabic as a language, and um, modern Arabic as a language. And so I speak all three of them. three different ones. Yeah. Okay. And are they? Very different. They're very different. It literally, like every dialect in the Middle East is so different. Like maybe Syrians and Lebanese are very similar. But it's still like you can tell them apart. Um, if you're in Yemen, it, it sounds like a whole different language. Did you have to know all of those languages to be able to live there? Is that something you learned in school or something? I learned you- it from like, so in Yemen, when I went to Yemen, we were there for like two years. My dad was a professor there. Um, that's before we came here. And I had to communicate with people and I had like really good friends. I made a best friend and I was like talking to them all the time. And that's how we learned. Um, but it didn't feel like it was Arabic, like it was not. Arabic in any in any sense, mm-hmm. but it was an Arabic country. So I had to learn it just from talking to people. Really, the best way to learn learn a language is just to throw yourself in, in the crowd and learn it. Yeah, yeah. I want to learn. Oh my gosh, I want to learn other languages. That's that my goal in life. Like uh, somebody asked me, like, what is it one thing if money wasn't an issue that and time wasn't an issue, what you want to do? And I'm like, I would love to learn every language. That's, That's my it, obsession. Yeah. What do you want to learn like next? What would be if you had to choose? So my phone actually is filled with apps to learn Spanish, Arabic, just to remember, like because you know I don't speak yeah. it every day, um, and French. Awesome. Okay. German and Japanese is like something I also want to learn, right. but I mean, you know, it's I don't know when it's going to happen, but right, yeah, right. You know, <laughs> it's what I you want. Have nothing going on. <laughs> I know. I got nothing going on. <laughs> Um, so if I were to just like see you on the street, if I knew nothing about you or like, if I just saw you at the gym, um, you're gorgeous. Like you have a, um, vibrant personality. And, uh, like you said, you're always smiling. I would have assumed that you were like one of the popular girls in school, probably like all the guys wanted you. And then after reading your autobiography and like what you just said, whenever you came here, it was a little bit before high school, you didn't even know English what was high school like for you? Um, it's really funny because, like, I grew up, I was very shy, very quiet, uh-huh. very to myself. I'm the type of person, like, I watch people and I learn about them. And, like, I'm very strategic with everything yeah. I do. Um, and then when it comes to, like, high school, like, I I hate to say because it, it makes me sound like I'm full of myself. But I thought I was too, like, too grown up for everyone. Yeah. Like oh, I, was, I bet. My God. You had to get all the shit that you had been through by high school. Like I felt yeah. so mature and I felt like I was, I would wear literally what I wear for work right now. I would wear like uh, dresses with heels and everything. Like I felt like I'm not going to be like the girls that are wearing like gym shoes and like they were putting makeup like in the bathroom and I'm like, oh, like that's not my concern right now. I just want to better myself. Like yeah, I felt you like I was. said that and you're out of way. You said yeah. something like I was not concerned with boys. No. And I was I, more concerned with um, making an impact and like being remembered yeah. or something. I just, I, my whole thing was like I would go home and I study and I would go to bed really early. So I wake up early in the morning and I can start my, like I loved school so much. My entire life school was like my escape. Like it, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um. And like in Iraq, when there was a war and then there was no school for like months at a time, I was depressed. Like, I was like, that's oh, yeah. not fun. And it's not like how sometimes kids say, like, I miss school because my friends are there. Like, I literally love the challenge of going to school and trying to like 
take the exams and beat people, like get the best score. Like that was like my thing. What was that? You said in your autobiography, it said something about one. Um, in the Iraqi test. Yeah, the Iraqi. Yeah. You got num- like number one out of. There was a test that like so everybody in sixth, sixth grade like in all of Iraq, and then that's considering also like the public, the private schools, like the ones that actually taught English. Uh-huh. And they would take this test, and it's in every category, and then everybody like it's monitored and everything, and it, the test is the same. But it's based on everybody's education. So if one school doesn't teach a certain program, that doesn't matter. They're still going to have to. They the still yeah. score. So I never learned English. And English was never like a subject that we had to cover. But one of the questions was, uh, it had the number one and three. So it's 13. And I put down 31, which I don't even know how I knew that. Because, it's, again, I didn't speak English. I didn't know about numbers or yeah. like. So I put 31 and until today, whenever I see 31 or 13, it just like drills in my mind. Cause like, <laughs> yeah. that's why I tell people, I'm like, when you make a mistake, it's not a bad thing. Cause you'll never make it again. Right. Cause like it, those are the ones that stick in your brain. So I got 99.9 and my name was in the paper, like, if, you know, for the Iraqi newspaper. And they were saying, um, you know, like I got the highest score in the country, but it was really like, that was the one thing that I got wrong. That's why it's 99.9. It would have been a hundred. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. But oh, shit. I was actually shocked. I was like, oh, they made a mistake. But like, There's no way. There's no way. <laughs> you know, like you didn't think that you would like that. You know, was- I've always been like, I've always been hard on myself. So even when I do really well, I'm like, oh, like, did I really deserve it? Like, did I? Yeah. You know, yeah. I always do this because I always feel like there's so many people that deserve good things. And I'm like, why? Why was it me? Mm-hmm. And then when I talk to people like that really love me and care about me, they're like, oh, did you see like the all like time that you put into it? I'm like, yeah, but there's no way nobody else put the same effort. Right. Um, like even when I did the ASVAB and I had to take a test for the officer candidate school, I had to like raise my GT score because the last time I took it, I just guessed everything. I just needed to get out. And I left the exam room and then the teacher walked up to me and I was just like sitting down like this just leaning down and I'm drinking my energy drink and I was tired, literally sleeping. And she walked up to me and she said, she just like made eye contact with me, but didn't say anything. And I was like, all right, fine. I'll just go retake it in six months. Cause you have to take it every six months. You can't take it back to back. And she like slapped the paper like this on my thigh. And she's like, why are you so hard on yourself? And she points to my score, which is really good. And I'm like, Oh, are you sure? And she's like, really? What, what, why are you questioning this? <laughs> yeah. And that lady doesn't even know me. So I'm like, and I was so happy. I was so shocked. But um, I've always been like this. I've always, I've always been hard, hard on myself. myself. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hard on myself too. And back to whenever you said that you, um, growing up, you were really shy. And I was going to say the same thing because I was whenever I was a kid too. And I'm the exact opposite of yes. that now. And yes. so are you, which yes. I think is funny. Yes. I feel, like, <laughs> I feel like when we're shy, we probably weren't shy. We we're trying to find ourselves. And, mm-hmm. and then I felt like I was really awkward. Yes. And then I had people me tell too, me, yeah. like I was in an abusive relationship and I've always had, you know, like whatever he said that was negative, it's kind of sunk in with me at the time. Mm-hmm. So then whenever people say, oh, you're beautiful. I'm like, why are they saying this? Um, and if they say you're successful, I'm like, oh yeah, oh, kind of. And whatever compliment I was receiving, I was like, yeah, I'm not really. Then I, I woke up one day, I'm like, yeah, I'm the shit. You know, like I am, <laughs> I am doing this and I am good and I am influencing people and I'm talking to people, I'm helping my friends. And so, yeah, you know what? Like it, it started slowly. Like I started breaking that, you know, negative, yeah. all, everything, all the bricks that was like surrounding me. I like broke through it and I'm like, okay, no, this is bullshit. We're starting fresh. 
and I was just talking to actually a colleague of mine two days ago, and he was talking about how he he's much older than me. He was talking about public speaking. He's like, I don't know. I get nervous. We're presenting Nebraska, and I've done this for 30 years. How are you not nervous? And I said, because you know what? If they were to do it, they'll be nervous too. So they're not any right. better. Exactly. You know, it's like we're competition. I was talking to my boss about that today yeah. too. I used to be terrified about public speaking. Now I could talk to yeah. 5,000 people and not like think twice about it. Was it, I was actually at a bodybuilding competition, like probably last year or maybe a year and a half ago. And then I was sitting with a girl that I did not know. My coach introduced me to her. So I was sitting down and watching all these people like walk across the stage and there was a novice. So all these new girls that haven't done it before. And, and I wasn't like professional by any means. Like I just did maybe one show at the time or two shows. And, um, there were a group of girls behind me. They were like, Oh, she's walking like a horse. She's just pounding the stick. And they were so loud about it. And they were giggling and laughing. And it bothered me. And I, that's one thing about me. I will always speak up. I don't care if God is there. I will tell you <laughs> yeah. how I feel about it. Because like, I feel like being quiet is just as bad as being a part of it. Right. So I turned around and I said, you know what? When you're wearing a tiny bikini and you worked so hard for months. And I literally went on. And I was like, then you can go on stage. And if you have a better walk, then, then I will listen to you. I said, for now. Just let her do her thing. That takes a lot of gut to be on stage. And yeah, I turned around. Good for you. And then I remember the girl that was on stage somehow knew from the girl that was sitting next to me because they knew each other. Uh-huh. And she thanked me. And she's like, uh, thanks. And I'm like, for what? She's like, I heard that you stood up for me. I'm like, oh, my God. How did you know? And then so those kind of things, I feel like uh, public speaking and all the kind of stuff, like if that person that's making fun of you or judging, if they were in your shoes, they'll feel the same way. Exactly. And that's what makes you feel confident exactly. about it. Exactly. That's what I've been learning recently about people that are like really hateful online. Um, I'm like, they, it, it, at first I would want to be reactive and to like say something back yeah. or be, get like a like defensive or something like that. But then I'm like, put yourself on the other side of it. Where must that person be to be yeah. confident, happy people aren't going around talking shit, no. hating on other no. people like that. They yeah. don't even bother. Exactly. And then that's why I say usually if people that hate on you, I, I, I said it to a couple of people and I'm like, thank them. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's literally like if they're giving you so much negative energy that you're doing it right. Because for you to kind of like hit that nerve, like that, that's bo- like it's bothering them so much that you're so successful or you're doing something. And if you're doing it wrong, they won't reach out to you. Exactly. It's the fact that you're doing it right. The exactly. fact that you're actually making noise because, and that's why I was like, let them go blind, let them go deaf because yeah. you know, make your noise a lot louder. And uh, they would not have done it if they have something to do in their lives, but you must be bothering them. So you might be doing something right. Right. That's what I'm kind of learning lately too. Like a lot of people... A lot of times whenever people are hating on you about something or pointing out something that is like wrong or whatever about you, it's really something that they're uncomfortable within themselves. Yeah. And when they say like, I, I actually love that. I, wa- I watch TikTok guilty and I, wa- <laughs> I watch this one that I think it's freaking awesome when they say, you know what, when you look at your Instagram story and see how many people view, I mean, I have, I saw this video that I have on LinkedIn and it had like 80,000 views but it has like 600 likes. And I'm like, wow. Wow. Like for people to actually view, and those are views like, like when I actually looked at the analytics, they watched the, the whole, whole thing. thing. And some of them watched a couple of times, but for you to do this and must kind of enjoyed it, or at least something about it you liked that you will watch it again, but only 600 of them will actually like it. Mm-hmm. And only maybe 40 or 50 will comment. comment on it, yeah. And then that is just a, a perfect indicator that people will always see what you're doing 
And if you're bothering them, they're like, oh, we're not going to like it because she might, it might go to her head. Well, why not? Why can't exactly. you? Exactly. Yeah. That's why I called you the other day. I was like, hey, by the way, everything you do on social media, keep doing it. It's freaking rocking. Because like, why not say this stuff? Like, it's not taken away from your own personal success or life. To right. compliment. It's not a shared pot. Like, hey, I'm making a meal, but if I give you some, it's less for me. It's success is for everyone. There's so many hey, things yeah. to do. Amen. Yes. And it's just, I think so many people think that way. Like if I support somebody else or if somebody else is doing better than it takes away from me. No, somebody else's success does not take away from my, yeah. my success. It's different. Everybody yeah. can do a different thing. Exactly. I actually had people that, um, I requested to be on my podcast in the past and they were like, no, it's okay. Like, you know, just we'll do our own. And then eventually we'll, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, do they think that like by them helping me with my podcast that it's taken away from theirs? From theirs? And it's no. that kind of stuff that makes me upset. Like, it's not about me versus you. It's like, we're doing our own thing. Exactly. You know, make your own path. I make my own path. We're not clashing. Yeah. yeah. I love that that you said in the autobiography too. It said, um, I've never been one to follow the paved path. I would rather make it my own, make my, yeah. Pave yeah. my own path. Um, I was getting this kind of like rewinding a little bit back to whenever you were growing up in Iraq and it was, there was a war. Yeah. Correct. Do you remember like, what was it like as a kid? Was it scary or did you even know, like, it's a funny difference? It's funny because I remember more about Iraq than I remember the countries in between. And, it, like, it's more um, vivid mm-hmm. than anything else. And I don't remember, like, being scary because as a kid, like, you don't think about that stuff. And I guess maybe because I was so used to like bombs going off That's what and I was everything. Say. Was it really all you had ever known? Like you yeah. didn't know what it was like. What peace would be like. Yeah. So it's not like it's really quiet and all of a sudden you hear it. But I have to say like um, in Chicago, when we have the air show. Like, um, so you go to Lake Michigan, you go on the boats and then you have all these planes, like military planes. I don't know what they call them. So people are judging me right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so they have like, they do all this show like the you know, the air and water show is what they call it. And that sound always gets me because it feels like wartime in Iraq, but oh. it didn't bother me then. But literally my stomach just like drops. It's like, and my friends always make fun of me. And also fireworks. Like I'm like, yeah, I was you know, ask if fireworks it doesn't scare me. But whenever people say, Hey, like, let's go watch the fireworks. I'm like, watch the real stuff. <laughs> That's <laughs> nothing. Right. This, is nothing. <laughs> this is cheap. This is made up. <laughs> Do you think growing up, um, in a war, did that have any effect on your decision, like being grown and deciding to join the army? Like, can you talk about that a little bit? I know we went over, went, moved to Chicago, you yeah. graduated high school, you went on to college there. Um, who was it that you were, you had moved away from home or moved out away from your family and you were um, living with somebody in college that was kind of like, was that a, re- that, a romantic relationship or was that? Well, it's funny because it's the hardest relationship to explain. So it was somebody that I was supposed to be his girlfriend, but it really was nothing romantic about the relationship. Like, you know, we were not romantic in any way. It's like, I feel like almost that he was so broken inside and he has so much going on. And he saw me as somebody that I was broken at the time. And mm-hmm. it was like an easier companionship just to have somebody with him but he felt i think he felt better about himself by controlling me and the fact that i barely spoke english the fact that i was so young and the fact that you know i didn't have my family at the time and i didn't you know i didn't have the support and it was just like an, i was an easy target mm-hmm. um but it was nothing romantic about it like he wasn't we weren't like gonna get married we weren't yeah. like in love we weren't like 
we're not like a couple. Okay. I was just li- I, the way I describe it. I'm like, he, he was the, you know, the person that like had me kidnapped or something. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah. That's how it felt. I felt like I was his prisoner. Um, but yeah, so he was, uh, he was somebody that I met when I was going through a difficult time with my family. And when I met him, he, uh, said, I'll be your mom, dad, brother, sister, everything to you and everything. And it seemed genuine. And I was naive because I was young and I'm like, okay, so I get to live with him as I find myself. And I, you know, this being the dumb child that I was, I was like, okay. And then it didn't even take a couple in a couple of days. I don't even say, I don't think even a week before he threw me across the room and I'm like, huh. You know, so it's, it's not what I thought. Abusive. Yeah, he was. He was very. very he was very physically abusive. But I think the physically ab- abusive part wasn't as bad as the mentally abusive part because he made me believe for for a long time that I couldn't do any better. Whenever you said earlier, when you you said you were in an abusive relationship and like you were taking a lot of the things that he was saying about you and kind of reflecting that back yes. on how you were feeling about yourself, was that him or yes, okay. it was him. And he, he got to a point when one time he would say. You know, like if we walk down the street and people say, oh my gosh, she's so beautiful. I'd be like, women or men, I'll be like, oh, she's so beautiful. You're a lucky guy. He would look at me and he'd say, yeah, they're not talking about you. Or he wow. would say, oh, he would say, oh, they feel so bad for you, you know, but, um, you know, you're lucky to have me because I'm actually settling for you. <laughs> settling for you. Yeah. And he would say things like that. And I knew, like, I mean, I wasn't an idiot, but, you know, I just, I, I knew that it was wrong and I knew he was just saying these things, but at the same time, like I had my doubts. I'm like, well, is he, Yeah. you know, is he kind of created insecurities, but I was never insecure my entire life, but I was insecure to the sense, like I didn't know once I left, like what I would do. Cause I didn't know how adult life is like, is like yeah. from my parents' home to his home. Um, and he would use school to control you because you really yeah. wanted to yeah. finish college and he would like, you know how badly I love to go to college. Like that was my thing. Like I begged him for the longest time to let me go back to college because I stopped when I met him. And then he, um, and he's like, okay, well fine. Like, okay. Cause you know, you're persistent, you go to school, but the second you get a B or a C you're done. And I went straight A's in college and wow. I freaking didn't even go to college for a couple of years. So then when I went there and I was getting straight A's and he's like, oh, it's not working. Um, and that's when he kept using. Whenever you finally left him and that was like a crazy story, you literally like snuck away one day yeah. whenever he left to go to the gym yeah. and um, you didn't know, like you had nowhere to go. You were, it said you were homeless for three months. I was homeless for three months. I was living in a coffee shop uh that wasn't even open for business and did they know that yeah oh yeah okay <laughs> i wasn't like a rat like sneaking yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was actually um i was sitting in in um like on a block of ice in the alley that was behind where you know he lived he and i lived um and it wasn't like too far but it was on the side where he wouldn't drive by so if he's coming back from the gym he's not going to drive that way but i was like literally down the street on on the same alley yeah and um and a pickup truck drives by and it was a guy in and i'm thinking to myself like oh there you go like somebody's trying to you know hit on me or pick me up anything so i was like crying and laughing the same time it was like a, i had a crazy psychotic moment i'm like i don't know how to describe it i was like going cuckoo <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that sounds like me on a daily basis <laughs> and, I, and i was like am i la- am i happy am i sad am i confused yeah. am i like yeah it's okay but it's good it's good yeah. this is good and um, at that moment, like he drove by, and I just was like, yeah, just keep going. I just kept doing this. I'm like, keep going. That was him. No, there was a guy with a pickup oh, truck. Okay, okay. And um, and then he came back again, and I was like, keep going. He's like, you know, miss, I just want to help you. And I'm like, no, I'm sure you do. Just keep going. 
<laughs> and the third time he came back and he came back with this girl and the girl was actually uh, like bartender slash like the person that makes the coffees at the coffee shop at, at the little like Italian cafe that's not open for business. And he came with her and she came out of the car to make me more feel more comfortable. And she's like, hey, listen, he's a cop. He's off duty, but he sees you crying. He sees you have like I had like a hefty garbage bag, like filled with my stuff. I look like Santa Claus, like a bag over my shoulders. Oh, and I'm like, my gosh, yeah. and I uh, had a jacket on and my, my ass is literally like the ice is melting and freezing back up on my butt. <laughs> and then she's like, you know, he just wanted to circle around. He didn't want to make you feel uncomfortable. So he brought me here. Can you just come with us? Come to the coffee shop right here. Let's go make you a cappuccino or something. I'm like, oh, okay. So I went with her. I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, I'm done for going with strangers. I'm like, but it can't get any worse than what I've been. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I went and then I met the owner. He's an Italian guy, like barely speaks English. And he was very nice and felt weird, felt a little creepy, you know, but I'm like, you know, he's being nice. So it's fine. So he said, and he was older, he's like maybe 60 years old. And he said, you can stay here. We lock up at night. You can sleep on the couch. Um, and he showed like a little like pantry areas, like a little closet. And he's like, you can put your stuff here, um, you know, and, and I was like, okay. So at night I will make sure when they close the door and everything, lock everything. I had like a, a Blackberry <laughs> and I will go to the area where they have like, um, like a big sink, like an industrial sink. And I will sit in it and keep the turning the lights off in case he has a camera and I'll shower with the lights. I will shower with it with a Blackberry light. I'll put it down just so I can Blackberry, see Blackberry, like the phone? Yeah. Okay. So oh I'll put gosh. the phone down with the flashlight and I'll shower. I'll put myself in the sink and I just wash myself like this. Uh-huh. So in case I have a camera, they can't catch it. Like they can't see me. And then uh, I bought a loaf of peanut butter, like a, a loaf of bread and a peanut butter jar. And I would like eat that for like literally three months straight. I would eat like a little bit at a time. That's all I had to eat. And I would still hitchhike to school. I never missed a day. You did it? <laughs> yeah, I did. How far away were you from school? It was uh, close to an hour. Oh my so God. I will find like, if I see a woman driving with her kids, if I see like any female out and then even people that would come to the coffee shop, they'll play like, you know, poker and stuff like underground poker and stuff. And I would like, a lot of them were guys that were like trying to ask me out and everything. And, but they were not like, really bad about it. So they were kind of nice. And I was like, can you please drive me to school today? And they were like, through them, I met people that would drive me to school. And the guy that you had left this whole time, how far away were you when you were staying at that coffee Literally shop? like a block down the street. Wow. Did yeah. he ever come like looking for you? He, he's the type that didn't want people to know. Like even when we fought sometimes and I would like jump out of the car because like he's hitting me in the car and I would like to open the door and jump out of the car. He would not come back and get me. He would like drive because he doesn't want people to see him. So he would always like try to avoid witnesses. Yeah. Yeah. So he you was, even said there were times when he would like, I mean, cause he was very abusive and like yeah. he would, you said like, like a weekly concussion was. Oh yeah. He would, he would like hit me and like, if I hurt myself and if I end up going to the hospital or anything, he would not like, he would just drop me off and keep driving. And, and he, what would you say at the hospital? Did you ever, were you scared say, to I, tell anybody what happened? Well, so, and it's part of me like not knowing what I'm going to do. So it yeah, got, it got, it was a point when him and I fought and we had a, like a really big fight and I ended up getting out of the car and I didn't know how to get back home because I didn't know my address. That's how mm -hmm. controlling he was. Like I'm an adult, but I didn't know how to get back home because I had no freedom. I didn't know what to do. So uh, I remember there was a cop that she met with me and she's like, hey, I'll help you out. Like, where are you going? And she gave me a, a cell phone number to contact in case of he does something. But I never confessed to her what he was doing. But she could tell. 
But my thing is like, I knew that nobody could do anything. And I still think that it's, there's no help out there for people that, I mean, there are things that people say they can help with, but there are so many cases when um, just somebody that understands what you're going through or therapy, no, none of that stuff. Like people actually need a safe haven. They need to find a home when the women are not just like kept in another prison, right. you know, because I've actually went to um, the shelter in North Carolina and it felt like a prison. Like I went there and they had to like outside there's a gate and inside of there's a gate and you have sign in. Yes. I, yeah. Cause I used to with um, a church that I was working with, we yeah. were, we were working with the kids from the home, the shelter and it's, yeah, it's like that. And it's I volunteered. like you're picking them up from jail. Yeah. And I was volunteering to actually help with them. And I met with a person who's actually in charge of it's called, but it's a, it's a big thing in Charlotte. And I met with the lady and I said, it kind of feels like it's a punishment for them because it's like, they're not doing anything. And I offered if, you know, I can like meet with them and educate them and like teach them how to do their resumes, how to dress for interviews. And like, those are kind of things yeah. that these people want. And I felt like there was nothing out there that does it. So I kind of felt like it's the familiar pain versus the unfamiliar, the unknown. So it was better to stay with him than to right. just go out there and tell people like, Hey, I'm being abused. What can you help me with? And nobody's going to. Right. Whenever, so you got away, you were staying in the um, coffee shop for like three months, was yeah, it? Yeah, it was about three you months. Were, it said you were uh, working three jobs, going yeah. to school. Yeah. Um, and then uh, you graduated? I didn't graduate from there. So okay. I, um, when I was at the coffee shop and the coffee shop owner started getting really creepy and I came back one time to school because I was going to night school and I saw him going through my clothes and I'm like, but the, the, the creepy part about it is not that he was going through my clothes and I caught him and it's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Is that he was down, like looking through my stuff. And then he looked up at me when he saw me, you know, open the door. You know, it was like a little pantry closet and I opened the door and he just looked at me and the face that he made was like, it kind of like said to me like, F off. I can do whatever I want. You have no other yeah. options. And he just looked at me and he looked right back down and he kept doing what he did. And that was so like, that hurt me more than anything. And I'm like, wow, like I can't catch a break. Yeah. And at that point I had friends, they were Czech uh, from Czech Republic and then they're not far from there. And then one of the guys that lived in a house called a happy house, he would always message me on Facebook. He's like, and I'm going to make fun of his accent, but because I, I love the guy to death. He's like my brother. He's like, Nabras, Nabras, you got to come live with this Nabras. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't know about you guys. Like, I don't, I don't know you, but he kept asking me to live with them. He's like, there's a room upstairs. You can just rent it. You don't have to pay me until you get settled down. And I was like, this sounds too good to be true. This is going to be like another, I'm going to go to it's a house. Guys. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I went from one guy. Now I'm going to have yeah. five guys. Yeah. yeah. So five guys, a burger. <laughs> I don't know what that came to my head. You know, the prep life. <laughs> That's what I was about to say. You can tell how hungry we are. <laughs> I, I have no carbs in my system. Um, but then he was like, you know, he should come. And then at that point when the owner of the coffee shop did this, I thought to myself, let me give that a try. And that was the most amazing experience of my life. Like these guys, um, one of them was a truck driver and he would like travel for a long time. So he gave me his car. So now I have a car to go to school. And uh, Tamik. So Tamik and Zbigniew. Zbigniew means yellow tooth in Czech, but they mean to make fun of him. So that's his name. That's all I've known him. Um, and Tamik was the guy that actually was always in the house and he would make me dinner. I come back from school and it would be, you know, dinner with a foil on top. He would clean the Aww. house. They gave me my own bedroom. And my birthday, my very first birthday, when I was staying there, uh, they had Lubica and she was our neighbor upstairs with her boyfriend living. 
um, it's like a separate entrance, but it's part of the house. She was, she would paint like in hospitals, like those, you know, elephant cartoonish things. It's, she's so good at it. So she came and she knew I was obsessed with Hello Kitty. I thought it was the cutest thing ever. Oh yeah. So she made my entire bedroom pink and she painted this Hello Kitty on it. And that was my surprise when I came back from school that day and I saw like they all like surprised me. So it felt like I finally had a family. A family, yeah. So I talked to them and I actually still like FaceTime with them all the time. They're in Czech right now. And they always like call me and they say, Nebraska, you miss Happy House? I'm like, yeah, I miss my Czech family. Like I had Aww. so many memories with them. So that's when my life really turned around. How uh, old were you then? Um, mid-20s. So going from the time that you were like homeless after you had gotten away from that guy to now, how long has it been? Um, from the time I was home, probably like eight years. Okay. Now let's talk about, just because I want people, what you've done in eight years. For anybody who thinks they can't <laughs> fucking do something or, oh, I, I, my circumstances, like oh, yeah. I won't have the chance. I would uh, like poor me, woe is me or whatever. Yeah. They let their situation or their circumstances limit them from what they could potentially be. Yeah. Um. So you graduated college and then- With honors. With honors, yeah. Graduated college with honors. Your degree is in- Computer science. Computer science. Computer information systems. And I got certification in computer forensics. I did a certification on my own. Like I literally saved money to go to Washington and get the education on my own. Um, But yeah. No, no, no. Keep going. Yeah. And then talk a little bit about your, your, how you got into your career and what you're doing now. Yeah. So I, uh, it's funny because like I have- I was just telling a friend because she was driving like crazy and I was joking with her. I'm like, don't kill me yet. I haven't accomplished anything. (laughs) And then she looked at me and she's like, that's so sad. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, the fact that you think you haven't accomplished anything. So it's relative. And I was like, you know what? You're right. That's kind of pathetic. But I kind of feel like there's so much more that I need to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's the difference between me and like a lot of people. And I feel like you're on the same, you're the type of person like that's also ambitious. And I'm... I, I feel like there is so many things that people would not expect women to do or me to do. Mm-hmm. And I like, whenever I hear like, Hey, you can't do this. I'm like, add it to the list. That's exactly. I'm like the quickest way to get me to do something is to tell me I can't. If you tell me I can't do something, you might as well sit the fuck down. And yeah. Watch yeah. Me do it. And it's like, it's like you're challenging me. Yeah. And it's yeah. funny because like, I love um, that. when people were saying like about the army, like the army was something I've always wanted to do. But I wanted it even more and more the more I found out their challenges were actually getting. Because anybody that lives in America that's been here that has a, you know, citizenship, they're like Americans, they can just go and enlist. Like the yeah. army will take you with open arms. For me, like I didn't have my green card set yet. I had it misspelled. Like it has so many problems that I fought for. Like I fought to be enlisted. And my recruiters love me because they know that like there was, it was not easy for me to want to serve. Yeah. And I contacted the Congress. Like, you cannot say no to me. Like, and just, just. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I actually had a recruiter that, like, I called when I first was trying to enlist. And I said, hey, I want to enlist in the National Guard. And he's like, oh, okay. And I told him, like, the circumstances and, like, all the documents and everything that I have missing that I couldn't just get. And he's like, sorry, I can't help you. And I'm like, and I, on the phone, told him, I was like, you can't help me or you won't help me. And he's like, excuse me. I said, I asked you a question. Will you help me or you just don't want to? And I said, because it gave me more work for you. And he's like, honestly, just take it up with higher ups because it's not something I can do. And I said, well, who's in charge since you have no control? And then he said, 
take it up with the Congress office. Little did he know that like the same day, like two hours later, I was at my Congress office. <laughs> like literally I drove to Congresswoman Elma's office, walked in with no appointment. And I said, I need to speak with the Congresswoman. They laughed at me, which I realize now it's stupid, but I had to drive. stupid for you to go in? <laughs> to just go into like a freaking <laughs> political office. <laughs> but, then, but I had the director of constituents. I still remember her name was Barbara. I don't, I think probably is still. And then she said, okay, we'll represent you. And then they helped me with the process and everything to get everything expedited. And that's for me to serve. Like I had to go to get help, to get, to, to actually be, to serve, be able to serve, to be able to sacrifice yeah. and like I'd give my time and give right. my, you know, all the stuff I had to work for. So nothing has ever been easy for me, but, um, but yeah. What, whenever you said that you always wanted to be in the army, like since you were, it was that like a, since you were young since and in high school. Okay. Did growing up, did I ask this already? Did, cause it's been, in you my did. Life. I don't think I answered it. Did, yeah. <laughs> did growing up in like influenced it, influence your, um, I don't think so. No. Yeah. What I, made you want to um, be in the army? I think it's like the more I tell people like, Hey, I'm trying to enlist. And the more I like, even when I was in high school, people were like you, like, oh yeah. Like, you know, they look at me like, oh, that's so cute. Like, yeah, like, and even now I find it really funny. Like I was in Lexington airport, bluegrass airport, the, um, probably like a couple months ago. And, um, I was going for a business meeting and I had to go to the USL, you know, like when they had the lounge for like army people. Mm-hmm. And I, and I was like, I'll just sit and chill here and I'll do a couple of meetings from here. Cause it's like quiet. You have wifi, you have snacks and everything. And then the lady at the desk, usually they check your ID to make sure that you're in the army and then they let you go in and you can just get coffee as much as you want. And, you know, I feel like a kid, like, like oh, I just want to yeah. <laughs> And I remember that lady. So when I first started flying into Lexington, she looked at my ID once and she's like, oh, is he deployed? And I looked at it and I was like, huh? And it hit me that she thought because I have his military wives have IDs as well that automatically that she sees a military, that I am a wife of a soldier. And I said, no, I said, that's my idea. It's, it's me. I'm the one who serves, you know, says right here. It's my rank. I'm a specialist. And it says right there, I'm a uniformed. Um, she was like, they don't have pretty girls like you in the army, do they? <laughs> so, and I thought I didn't take offense to it. I actually thought it was so cute that, yeah. but the fact that she didn't think that I would, I'd look like somebody that would serve. And then she kind of was pleasantly surprised. I'm like, that's what I kind of like. I think that's probably 80% of the joy of serving is that people would never think I do this. Yeah. That's what, yeah. whenever I, um, like I said, whenever I was at that, uh, what do you call the it? Posing the posing thing. Po- the clinic. Yeah. And you got up and you were talking about being in the army. And then when I went up and talked to you later, I was like, you're in the army. That's so cool. And then later when. I, we were talking a week or so later and you yeah. were talking about being in pharmaceutical sales. I was like, yeah. wait, I thought you were in the army. And you were like, no, I do both. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing about like a lot of people in the army keep telling me like I should go active. And I'm like, I don't think it's for me. Like I'm the type of person that have so many things I want to do. And if I just choose one or two, I will be like legit depressed. Like yeah. that's depression to me is when you are restricted. So the fact that I have this going on, I have my job going on, even with my job, like I tried to like capture so many states to the point that like the owner of my company is like okay forget it Nebraska has no territory she can do whatever <laughs> because like I what could what do you do what is it so I am an assistant VP for Gentel it's a manufacturer of wound care dressings okay and my job basically before when I first started so it hasn't even been two, been two years like in July it's going to be two years but I already got two title changes so in the beginning I was a regional manager which I was managing the clinicians that go into nursing homes and help with the dressing changes 
uh, recommendations of the products and what dressings to use to heal the wounds faster. And then as I kept growing the company, I grew it like actually like crazy over COVID, um, oh, really? which is really hard because during COVID, a lot of businesses have like suffered. Yeah. I had American Airlines actually call me and say, thank you for being an unusual traveler of 2020. And they upgraded me. I, I had like 96 flights during oh, COVID. Wow. So um, my company changed my title to business development. And then they realized it's more than that. I'm actually marketing people, people and continuing the relationship and like doing all these like review reports and everything. So they changed it to assistant VP. So that's my last promotion. But um, my role is to go anywhere in the U.S., anywhere that has nursing homes and find out if they're not working with us, they should be because they are spending so much money on wound care and we can bill it through Part B. So what is your, the title is Vice President of Business Assistant Vice President. Assistant Vice President of yeah. Business Development. No, Assistant or Vice Or just a fit Assistant Vice President, period. Yeah, just okay. Assistant Vice President. Um, and is that company um, like national company? Uh, we're all over the U.S. Yeah, we're oh. like one of the largest companies, largest manufacturers of wound care dressing. So just in eight years, went from being homeless, graduating college with honors, <laughs> is now the vice, assistant vice president of a huge national wound care company. Yeah. And enlisted in the Army. Specialist, uh, yeah. Specialist in the Army and uh, pursuing offer, op, officer. Officer Candidacy School. Did I yeah. Say that right? Yeah. So it's... Uh, to be commissioned as a second lieutenant has been why actually I wanted to enlist to um, hopefully go to MI, like military intelligence, because that's what my degree was. And a, body, a national, nationally, a nationally, body, nationally qualified, qualified body, bikini bodybuilder, <laughs> um, and has a podcast. <laughs> what else? And forget she has more of a social life than me. She's like trying to get me to go play golf on the weekends. <laughs> Oh, and then and, and then I get I'm like, like, how do you have time for me? And they get poison ivy on my leg yeah. when I'm doing it. All the way because I had to pee can, in the bushes. Yeah. That's what I was gonna say. You can literally like hide in the grass in the forest and doing military drills for hours and hours. Just fine. You get poison ivy on the golf course. I had somebody actually from my unit because they follow me on Instagram and they're like, Hayek. It is so weird following me on Instagram. I'm like, well, thanks. You know, I'm, I'm, like, I'm like, I'm glad you enjoy it. They're like, no, it just, it's, it seems like you lead a double life. And I'm like, no, it's more like a, a triple. A triple you know? life. Yeah, exactly. And then they said, well, it's funny because you're so like, you know, like wearing the uniform and like tomboyish and this person is just like, you know, just drop things and just drop to the mud and you don't care. And then you're like, so like elegant and you wear the heels. Right. I'm like, don't let that elegant look fool you because that's still yeah, that yeah, tomboy person. Exactly. <laughs> I know whenever I saw though, like whenever you had uh, FaceTime me one time and even I think maybe you had posted something on Instagram, but I was like, who looks this beautiful in the freaking <laughs> military drills? Like, <laughs> well, thank you. Cause it doesn't look, it doesn't look pretty. You're like, I don't feel like it. No. <laughs> Um, I want to go back a little bit. I was going to ask you this earlier. As you talk, I think of like, I'm like, ooh, 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 ooh. Like, I want to ask about that. So um, you had said whenever you were in that abusive relationship and you were taking a lot of the things, like men, there's a song that I heard when I was in high school. And I love it. I can't even remember who sang it, but there's one line and it says, I guess there's just a part of me that likes to bring you down just to keep you around because the day you realize how amazing you are, you're going to leave me. And it was like, a woman's or a man saying that like about a woman. And that's yeah. what I think of a lot of times. Cause I've been in some uh, relationships that were 
abusive physically and mentally. And I grew up um, around that as well. And you don't really realize like it is very easy to, to kind of um, take that and yeah. reflect it back on how you feel about yourself. Yeah. Even and, if you know, even yeah. if you know it's not true, like exactly. what if? And then you said you had like a moment where you were like, I am amazing. Or yeah. what do you think kind of flipped that switch for you? Was there one event that you can attribute that to something big that happened or was it kind of like built up over time? I honestly think I feel like as I kept growing up and as I was like going through experiences with him, like in all the bad times, um, I started like admiring myself, like thinking like, Oh, like I've gone through so much. Like it must be like really hard to, and I was like, I, I doubt that a lot of women will go through this and be still standing here. Like the fact that I'm still alive. And I got to the point when like, I feel like if he's going to say something mean, I know how to get myself out of situations. So I got really good. And I, uh, when I look back at the relationship, I don't look at it with like sadness and anger. I actually think that I was born during that relationship. Like a lot of times when I talk to my friends, I say, there's so many things I learned from the bad times with him that made me the strong person. And I know it sounds really cheesy, but if you think like, if I'm going through a problem, if somebody gives me a hard time, like if you having bad customer service with uh, you go into a place and the person is really rude to you. I don't take that. Like, I don't take that. I will always stand up and I'm like, oh, so you're just going to sit there and give me a hard time. And like, this is a job. If you don't like it, just quit. And I will say so, such a casual <laughs> yeah. voice because I don't take stuff because I learned so much from him. And this one, one of my podcasts says like, you know, uh, he thought he ruined my life. So I, I wrote him a um, thank you letter. You. Yeah. And that's to another person. And we're going to get into that later. But it was funny because uh, my ex, you know, it wasn't a romantic relationship, but that's what I referred to him. He actually reached out to me at one point, maybe like a year later. The one that... You- the abusive one. Okay. And, um, and I met with him and he reached out to me just to apologize is what he said. I wanted to meet with him because I felt so empowered at that point. Yeah. And I felt like, hey, like you can't force me to go back because I'm not yours anymore. Like I already built myself. And when he met with me, he was crying and he was saying, you know, I'm so sorry for all the things that I said to you. And basically every word you said for the song, like it was literally what he said. He said, you're the most beautiful woman I've ever went out with. You know, we didn't really go out. He's the most beautiful woman. He's like the smartest, the sweetest, the kindest. And my family loved you. It's like everything about you was perfect. It was like my dream. And I was so afraid to lose you that had to make you feel like there's nothing out there for you that I am the best option for you. And he's like, and little did I know that you're you outsmarted me. Like, this is like not, this is not who you are. Like, you're not going to put up with it. But I also feel like, you know, and he was messaging me after that, like for a while saying like, hey, like I met this girl and trying to make me feel jealous. And I would always message him back saying, I'm so happy for you. I hope the person is the right one for you that you treat her better because I do want you to be happy. And I was really serious that's about it. Like that says a lot about you as a person to be able to extend that. After all that he had done to you, to not be yeah. like, fuck you. Well, because if I, I say, <laughs> if I say fuck you to him, that means, and then it's not that I'm doing it on purpose. Like if I say anything negative to him, if I feel any like, like ill feeling toward him, that means he still affects me negatively. Right. And I really, honestly, there's nothing in the past that still like, I'm the type of person, like I, even when I have a breakup, I'm like two days, take two days and give myself time to be a girl, cry, eat cake 
you know, right. eat ice cream and, you know, wine to my friends. And I said, after the two days, like I'm up and I'm doing something about it because you don't affect me that longer. Cause you're not going to have the power over me. And part of it, I feel because of my life experiences, like I keep going through obstacles and getting over. So I'm like, if this didn't ruin me, why would this person right. ruin me? Yeah. So I, I genuinely felt happy for every single ex that we broke up with. Like I, when I hear one of my exes, like getting married, I let go. Oh, and one of my friends was like, did you just say, all? like, I have a guy that I met in college and he's getting married and she's like, it's been like 10 years and I can't get over it. I'm like, because you still like him. Like I'm yeah. over it. See, I feel like that all of, uh, I can't say about all of my exes, but it, it takes me a long, I do yeah. feel that way about yeah. all of my exes now, but it, I think takes me a while to like, yeah. I think depending on the, like the situation or whatever, it takes me a while to like get to that point. I definitely am not like laying around crying about it or whatever, but I, I think that I use it to like use it to get up, to motivate me. Like all, all of my success in a way I feel like I owe to my exes because I was like, okay, fuck you. Like I'm going to go, especially a lot of my relationships ended for cheating and that I like took all of that and like reflected it back on myself and like, okay, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Why do all these men keep cheating on me? Yeah. And it was like, oh, there's nothing like I, the thing that's wrong with me is that I keep choosing the wrong fucking men. But every time, whenever I would get out of one of those relationships, it would make me want to accomplish more, like to do more. Yeah. I tell people this and they, until I finish it, they don't understand what I'm saying. So I'm like every relationship, good or bad, Every experience in life, good or bad, it's like, imagine like a brick and they're just piling in front of you. And then when I say to people like, oh God, like it's blocking you in. And I'm like, no, it's building a stairway to what you need to go. And then honestly, like every single thing I do and I say, sometimes I think I'm like, why did I do this? Like, I'm really proud of myself. Is it because, and they're like, literally like, and I'm like, like sometimes I talk with my friend and like the things that come out of my mouth, I'm like, wow, like somebody should have recorded this because yeah. that was just, that was just pure magic. And then like, I want to like, how did I come up with this? And it really is like, everything is back from when time that I did this or time I did that. So it's every bad relationship was there to teach you a lesson. Yeah. You said something too in the, um, that I thought was big because it, it was easy and I, it really affected how whenever you got out, first of all, whenever she got out of the car earlier, I like ran like hugged her. I was like, I was like, what do I do? So incredible. And you're like, what did I do? I was like, what did I do? I just had to pee. <laughs> you squeezed it out of me. Yeah. <laughs> but whenever I, it, I read the whole thing and I was like blown away the whole time, just like thing after thing that you have been through and like overcome. And then when I, and I, it was not that you want to, you do want to, in a way, like feel sorry for. Her. I feel bad, like weird saying that because I don't yeah. mean like pity you or whatever. Yeah. But it yeah. really is like, like heart wrenching yeah. to like see and read and yeah. such detail all the things that you went through. Yeah, and so it's almost like to look at you as a victim. And then at the end, you write this whole thing that's so detailed about everything that you've overcome, and it says, "I'm not a victim nor a survivor. I am fortunate to have been chosen to." endure life's best lessons, yeah. which I think is an incredible way to look at it. And like, yeah. I think a lot of it's easy to victimize ourselves and right. like, oh, he did this to me or he treated me poorly or mm-hmm. my parents did this to me or I didn't, I wasn't afforded like the, all the opportunities yeah. that somebody else or yeah. somebody else has more opportunities than I do or whatever. And you're like, 
using those things. No, I'm glad I went through all that shit because look who I am now or look who all those things helped shape me into. I don't know what kind of person I would be if I didn't go through this stuff. And I feel like at this point, I truly, and I'm not saying this because it sounds good. Like I feel fortunate that this happened to me because I feel like, you know, I don't know if I would have been like married with kids right now to somebody that I just settled for. I don't know if I would have finished college. I don't know if I would have, um, you know, gone after like, being enlisted in the army or doing like i feel like there's no limit mm-hmm. and like sometimes i sit around like oh what do i need to tackle next and i feel like that in itself is freedom that in mm-hmm. itself it's something that like hey that means i can do this i can go after it and i tell all my friends i'm like listen i don't do things because i think i'm gonna like kick ass at it. i do things because i just want to attempt to do them and if i fail that yell at them that it's okay because I went after it. And to me that in itself, it's fun. Amen. I love that because I, um, and this is something that whenever you called me on Saturday and you were like, keep going. Yeah. Um, that was something that I've been struggling with a little bit because I always, there's, if somebody, if you were to describe me, I don't think that you would say like, there's one that, Oh, she's this. Yeah. She is a pharmaceutical sales rep or she, yeah. whatever, because I try to do a lot of different things. Yeah. And a lot of people try to make me feel like you need to stick. You thing. need to stop. You need to stick to one thing. You're going to be a master of nothing and a jack of all trades or whatever. And it's yeah. like, Oh, I want to, I don't yeah. want to just do one thing. I want to explore all these things. And there's a lot of things that Whenever I get an idea for something, I dive in. I create a sense of urgency on it. And a lot of times, it's like I get an idea in my head and I balls to the wall about it until I do it. And I may do it for a week and be like, eh. Yeah. But I would much rather do it and try things. Than regret not trying it. Than regret not doing it. Yeah. 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 And I actually just posted a video not too long ago saying, um, because I had people say, why don't you just go active and stick to that? Why are you doing the army and, and doing this job? Why are you doing a podcast? Like, and then granted, like I'm not like doing a podcast on a regular basis, but it's there. And I will, when I do it, like there'd be a topic that I want to share. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think of it as a job. I think of it as a passion. A I, need passion to, right. I share when I need to share something. Um, and then a lot of people said like, you need to focus on that, focus on that. And I have people that I love and care about and then love me and care about me. They will tell me stick to one thing because when you stick to something, that's what's going to make a difference. And then they learn slowly that my passion in life is to go after every opportunity fail or succeed either way just going after them makes me feel alive and yeah. and that's probably why like you're one of the people that i really do enjoy spending time with and talking to because i feel like you just do this and do that and you don't do it and i don't want you to ever think about like who's gonna like this who's not gonna like it just continue to do it mm-hmm. because you like it and then eventually yeah. the right crowd is going to come so it's like exactly yeah that's, i noticed yeah. i kept posting things on linkedin and for the longest time and i'm like you know, I post funny videos on LinkedIn and a lot of people don't say like, ha ha. I even joked one time and I said, we need ha ha button for LinkedIn because it's only just like, celebrate and love. And, yeah, I'm like, yeah. and I'm like, we need a ha ha because like some things are humorous. It's okay to yeah. be fun. And I will post all these funny TikTok videos on LinkedIn that's related to work. So it's not like, that's what, yeah, there's not yeah, enough of that. It's not yeah. like I'm like bending over and twerking or something. Right. It's like funny things. Although I did the one with a, with a uh, vaccination and I was like going like this. <laughs> um, so, and a lot of times I was like, I don't know how people think about it, how people think about it. Then I go to this really big trade show that my company paid thousands of dollars to like get me out of the whole entire company to go to. Um, and my boss said like, I didn't know you were such a celebrity. So I thought to myself, like, I'm doing it. People are watching it and they're appreciating it. So whether they say something or not, like people will come to you like, oh, we see your videos on LinkedIn. You see your video, you're on LinkedIn, you're on LinkedIn. And I was like, you know what? 
That's why I should do what makes me happy because it is working. Exactly. The right people right. are watching it and they're that, appreciating it. I can, uh, I don't have, you have a pretty big uh, social platform. I want to talk about in a second. Don't let me forget. Cause I, again, every time you talk, I'm like, Oh, I want to ask about that. <laughs> um, but one thing I was for a while, like trying to grow my online coaching business. And for that, you, you know, I was working with some business coaches and they were telling me all this stuff, like how I needed to be. And, um, for a long time, I feel like, and I was almost like paying these people for coaching to teach. And I felt so superficial and like not myself. And, and I was just kind of finally like, screw it. Mm -hmm. And when I finally started post, I felt like I wasn't really making a lot of traction, I mean, a little bit, but like it was really slow. And, um, when I finally started posting, like really being myself and being like that, no filter, I cuss way too much, but I literally say exactly what's on my mind and I'm not trying to like please anybody else. It's just me being me. That's whenever my like I think my like engagement on social That's media grew by eight thousand percent in yeah. one month. Yeah, and um, yeah, you get it. It's very attractive for people. Like I'm attracted to personalities and to accounts and to like like the social media of people that they just do what they want to do, and then sometimes what they're doing is not popular by any mm-hmm. means or accepted, but they still do it. To me, that is so int- they're so attractive, and it's also so like. That's one of these things I admire. I'm like, you know what? You keep doing yourself because if there's one person that can relate to this and love it and enjoy it, and it's really who you are, then just do it, do it for that one person. Yeah. Then let that person be your audience. Who cares about having it? I have like a hundred thousand more than, I don't know how many, over a hundred thousand on Instagram. I can tell you right now, if I'm influencing zero out of these people, who gives a shit? But if I'm influencing one and I have one follower, I'm happy with that. Right. Yeah. Because you're being you. Yeah. And there's so much power in whenever you real like uh come to the realization like i'm not better than anybody i'm not too good for anybody or nobody's like too good for me or whatever i'm just me yeah and when i fully embrace that like my people will grab will gravitate towards me like you said they they, always say i was like it's uh people love when i use that that statement was like sifting through yes and only bakers will say this so it's like you know how you have flour and you have all the impurities and usually sift Uh not that i've ever baked in my life but i don't know why that stuck in my mind (laughs) out of all the (laughs) things that's the first thing you're talking about um so yeah so it's like they say like you know you just go through it it's really fine but you slowly slowly take away the impurities and you dump that so when you're putting your social media content out there that you're comfortable with that speaks to you that represents you well then you slowly, slowly going to have all the haters fall apart mm-hmm. and you take them out. And then whatever's left, it's the, literally the crowd that appreciates what you want. And they're going to want more of you, more yeah. of what you're posting. And that's who you're going to be geared towards. Okay, yeah. When, um, what do you think kind of helped with your growing your platform? Was it like your LinkedIn? and Because I think you told me that one time, which I was surprised by you said most of your growth came from linkedin right so i was always i always felt like i was very good when it came to like networking on linkedin mm-hmm. and then now and i'm guilty of it sometimes so like i'll like compare my platform to like other people i'm like oh they have more followers than me yeah but then i realized like i like i said when i went to the event in, in may uh it's actually called ecap in florida and it was all these like nursing home owners and operators and investors. And I'm like, these people have been watching my LinkedIn. Like, that's pretty badass. Yeah. Um, and they're actually like, they know me and they know, oh, you're in the bras. Hi. I can, like people start taking pictures of me and I posted that picture on Instagram. 
Because they're like, hey, because you have a lot of followers and it was going to lead to our business. And like, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, me? And then I didn't think of that because I have people that have like 50 and 60,000 followers and I have like 20, but in LinkedIn, that's supposedly like good. Um, so I always thought I had a lot of followers. And then with the LinkedIn and Instagram, I try to keep them separate. So with Instagram, it's like my fitness, you know, I have my bikini pictures, I have my belly dancing jokingly and stuff. Yeah. And I have my TikTok videos that I would not post on LinkedIn. Um, so I try to keep it different, but it's both me. Yeah. You know, so I didn't want to like cross the line of having, and I still posted things that kind of pushing it, pushing the envelope when it came to LinkedIn. But, um, I feel like what grew my, my Instagram especially is that for the longest time I would like send messages to people that I thought I admired that had like so many followers. And I, I noticed that they don't reply to you. And it's not that they don't see it. Like a lot of times they see the messages and most of them, sadly enough, were females. Um, it'll be a female that like in the fitness world that I admired them like, because Hey, like competition, they look good. Or these people that do fitness or they work with a supplement company and I would message them because that's the kind of person I am. I'll talk to anybody. I'm not like, Oh, I don't know. She, you know, I don't want her to think she's special. I will talk to that person. Yeah. Um, and I felt like these people that had like 30, 40, 50,000 followers, they started like acting like their shit don't stink. And I'm like, Hmm, that's bullshit. So yeah. I was like, you know what? How do they get all these accounts? How do these followers follow them? Because they're like shallow as, as can be. So I started being myself and I will post videos like about me belly dancing jokingly. I started putting up stories and I started like doing hashtags to what I think that will bring crowds. So like if there's a funny belly dancing video, like, or jokingly like TikTok thing, I would like hashtag the singer in the Middle East or like if it's a it was Shakira thing and have the fans. Like I started really working on my hashtags and, oh, okay. and then people start actually sharing I haven't done this in a long time, like, cause now I slowed down. Like, I don't care if it grows. Cause I yeah. realized like now when it grows, like now what, who cares? Yeah. Um, but for the longest time I thought by growing my Instagram, I want to see what these people, these women or like, you know, men, but like mostly women, like in fitness, um, why do they feel so special? And until today, like when I get people send me messages on Instagram that I don't know, I will still read through them. And obviously uh-huh. if it's a guy being creepy, I will not, but like I read every single message, did, yeah. you know, when they say on the side, like quick, requ- uh, request by whatever, accept it to primary or not. Yeah. Like I read through these messages. And a lot of times, like when I go through my message, I'll go and check to see if there's anybody that is trying to get a hold of me and stuff. Then I, I'm like, I do the same, but like creepy guys or whatever, yeah. I don't pay attention to, but I do. And I thought to myself and I'm like, so I have a lot of followers. I mean, again, it's relevant. Like it could be a lot to people and some people not, but but I still read through it. So it's not me. It's not the, how many followers you have. It's just the type of person. Yeah. Um, right, that's and, it, and it's really sad. It's yeah. really sad how people think that really puts them in a category. Like, Hey, I am this person and you should respect me. You should look up to me because I have that many followers. That means and nothing. a lot of them I've noticed don't even like they bought followers. They may have a hundred thousand followers and then they upload a picture and it gets a hundred likes. And then it could be, and so the likes thing also is another thing. Like if you don't, if you have a lot of followers and you don't have any likes then it's not something that you it's do not organically. Yeah. You bought yeah. followers. Yeah. yeah. And then you have to have like people like that will share it. Like I have a lot of people that tag me in posts mm-hmm. and that will bring me a lot of followers too. Like sometimes I get people I'm like, well, that person like, cause I had a lot of fake people that also add mm-hmm. and that was eventually like drop off. But then I go and sometimes I'm like, well, this person looks like they're from Charlotte. And I look them up and it turns out like I was tagged in a post and that person liked it. And, but wow. I, stopped ser- I stopped searching how I got them. I just started yeah. giving up. Yeah. Um, but I do think, I honestly do think once you get to a certain number, I feel like 
then people will just add you because they think like, oh, this person has a lot of followers. Yeah. So it's not a compliment in a way. Yeah. Um, whenever you said that like women that you looked up to or admired and you would send them a message. Um, so I used to, this kind of relates to what we were talking about in the beginning with like, did we even talk about this or was this a conversation we had on our, I think we did. The and we talked a lot, so I don't know what, I know, we, we've what we recorded or what we did. talking for over an hour, but, <laughs> but um, what day is this? <laughs> I know, right? It's Saturday. We started on Wednesday. <laughs> is it Wednesday? <laughs> Um, but the success thing and thinking like, okay, if they, if I'm success, if they're successful and I'm successful, then it takes away from my success or whatever. Um, yeah, we talked about, yeah, I think I, even I like just dealing with my own insecurities and stuff before, like I would kind of, I felt like that too, or like, um, I don't want to say competitive with other women, but I guess kind of in a way, but it really, it was more of my own insecurities. Yeah. It's kind of natural, but I mean like people that take it too far, like it's natural to see somebody who's like, like I'm the type of person, like people ask me like, Oh, you're all your girlfriends are so hot. I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I don't, don't do that. But like, I, I get it. Like, you know, my, all, I think all my friends are hot <laughs> and then they, and they start saying like, oh, okay, so that doesn't bother you. And I'm like, no, why would it? Like my, my friends are beautiful. That's a good thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of my girlfriends, like when, even we go shopping for clothes and stuff. And I'd be like, no, this looks bad at you. Oh, this is freaking smoking. You need to buy I this. love that about you. Yeah. Like you, yeah, you always give an honest. And I was like, this look, this makes you look a little bit heavy and I'll say it and they're not yeah. laughing, but they, they'll trust me because they know that like, I want you to look beautiful. And, yeah. But it's natural sometimes when you look at a woman, you're like, oh, she looks pretty. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, then, but then like that shouldn't affect you more than that. Like she just be like, yeah, and then, like, I, I'm the type of, like, uh, all my guy friends, I'll point out, like, oh, this girl's really hot. She's really cool. And they're like, Nebraska, you're just one of the boys. I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I um, had a, uh, like, group of girlfriends. There was one girl, or it was, I was trying to kind of, I was friends with one of the girls, and I was kind of trying to, like, infiltrate their friend group. When It was whenever I, like, moved to Charlotte. I didn't know a lot of women. And yeah. there was one girl in the group who I feel like she has to be, like, the prettiest girl in the room. Yeah. And I'm not saying like, I, I don't like look at myself and be like, Oh my God, I'm so hot. Or I'm yeah. not like that self-absorbed or whatever. I have like definitely have my own insecurities. Yeah. Um, so I never would. I think this girl is fucking gorgeous. Yeah. But she would do things like she would intentionally not invite me. Or there was one time, like there was a pool party, for example. Yeah. And like all the girls were going and like, say there was four of them. And, and me. So I would have been the fifth one. And she was like, oh, I'm sorry. We only have four. I can only have four guests. Or just like like little shit is like it that. A kiddie, she would is try it, to like not invite me. Was it a kiddie pool? Like they can only have four <laughs> right, people? Exactly. Was it a kiddie pool? <laughs> we can only have yeah. it occupy four people. And she ended up telling one of the girls, like saying something like that. Like and especially if there was like guys around or whatever, she didn't want me to be there and and I didn't realize that and it made me like it hurt my feelings so much not because I didn't know that I just thought I was like what is wrong with like why does she not she's so cool to me whenever it's just us but anytime it's like but I I didn't put all that together I was just like why is she sometimes she wants me around and sometimes she doesn't want me around and one thing I learned in life is honestly whenever you're hurt because of somebody's actions it is not about you it's about them that's what I just read in that book yeah. before agreements. It said, don't take things personally. It's whenever. always about them. So the fact that she, like, that she doesn't, I had a lot of people do that with me. Like, I was going to ask, how do I you went, handle that? But I guess that's kind of. I went weird. on a trip to, to California with a couple of girls. Actually, it was like five of us. 
and I don't talk to a single one of them because they're like, there were a couple of guys that they liked. And one of the guys was talking to me about when I was in college and he was talking to me about like professional, like it was nothing out of the line, but she liked him and he would never give her time a day, but he was asking me about classes and I, I'm respectable. Like I would actually, if somebody asked me a question respectfully, I will answer. And we're having a conversation in front of all of them. So it's not like we're going to the side and, and I was dating at the time. So I wasn't like, you know, looking for somebody or anything. Um, and they all cut me off because I got the attention, but it wasn't like negative attention. I didn't feel like the, I mean, you can tell when a guy's being creepy. Yeah. They were not being creepy or anything like that. Um, but I feel like it's a lot of times when you think like, and then there was a wedding that they were inviting everybody to, um, one girl, she was inviting her sister, and then she invited everybody. <laughs> it's so okay. <laughs> she invited everybody, but she didn't. Then I realized later You're worried about how you're going to look, yeah. not how I, yeah. But that's the thing. There a lot of times. I have no that's one thing that I'm that I'm starting to learn too like a lot of times things that people like put you down for or like point out about you or try to make fun of you for or whatever it's things about you that like make them uncomfortable yeah. and like you said so it's really more of a them problem than a you problem somebody who's like completely does not take care of themselves um they not successful they don't do anything that that special in their lives they're not going after their goals those tend to like be safe in the parties they they tend to be safe in a lot of groups, they're always invited. They're always a part of things because they're not a threat. But mm-hmm. and if you have, it's kind of like when they say a bride always chooses the ugliest bridesmaid's dresses. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're like, I don't want to. I want to be the most beautiful one. And on that's the reason. Yeah. So yeah. like, you know, and like you see some brides will like choose a girl that like completely overweight or like not taking care of herself and everything. But the ones that I, I like, I'm like, I always say, if, when I'm going to be a bride, I'm going to tell my bridesmaids to like, hey, choose a dress that'll make you feel sexy. Yeah. If you want a different color, then do a different color. And Everybody it's really just about insecurity. And yeah. Speaking yeah. of, because I know all my guy friends are going to ask, you're not single. <laughs> <laughs> I Don't not- even try. <laughs> Don't even try, gentlemen. <laughs> and I tease him all the time. And I'm like, you know, I'm single until I'm married. And he's like, no. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm not single. <laughs> yeah, you're in a, you've been in he's, a He's amazing. Yeah. He's amazing. Are you going to get, are there, what, so what are your kind of plans for the future? Like, what do you, career wise, hobby wise, are you wanting to pursue, continue on with bodybuilding and. Yeah, I do. Um, I, I love bodybuilding now because I mean, honestly, it'll be nice to be, to go pro, but like, there's no goal. Like after I am pro, like it's not going to mean anything. I mean, it's going to mean something obviously because it is accomplishment, accomplishment, right? But like, there is no reason why I want to go pro. Yeah. Other than I love being on prep. I love the fact that, you know, go out drinking with your friends and you're finding it like, Oh God, I'm not drinking. I'm drinking. But at the end of the night you come home, like I really did not drink. 
Yeah, I didn't like, fall for it. Yeah, and secretly, whether we like it or not, like you know, this with prep, like deep inside, you'll get so proud of yourself. You're like, oh, I'm badass for actually being able to stick with a plan. Yeah. Um. So that's why I like the bodybuilding. But I think as far as goals for the next five years, I've been asked that question so many times. Even though you didn't say five years, I always look at it and say it's to make new goals because I never stick to my goals. I always create new ones based on right. something. Yeah. And sometimes like I will be steered away from something I want so bad and I get so sad about it. And then just to find something even more great and more amazing. Yeah. So I learned to take, and I tell people all the time, I'm like, I never get anything easy. Like the easiest things. If you're going to Starbucks to get a drink, I will go to Starbucks and it'll be closed. The same one you want to. Like everything. <laughs> yeah. It'll be the most simple things. Yeah. I was getting my driver's license through the army, which means you technically can drive any civilian vehicle. And they had like a long line of people from our unit going and get the license, print, go, print, go. Got to me. And he's like, hi, I need to register. It's not working. And I looked at the commanding, uh, our commander and at the readiness NCO. And I was like, it's okay. And he's like, why are you like, you're not upset about it? I'm like, everything, everything I do, it's not, it's going to go like this. And, <laughs> yeah. and at our company commander, he looked at me, he's like, ain't that the truth? Hike? We've been trying to get you with the OCS. We know nothing works like normal, <laughs> but I'm okay with it. Cause like that, the beautiful, most beautiful things are the ones that you struggle with at first. Oh, that's good. And like you had said in your thing, it all has made you, it makes you stronger yeah. and, and so many more things. Um, Another thing that you had said is, I hope my story can show the world that fa- failure only happens when one does not try, which I think you kind of touched on too earlier with, if you get an idea for something, you'll go after it. I mean, you're six, if you go after it, you're succeeding at it because yeah. you're, you're doing it. Yeah. Right. That's what Dee told me. My, Dee, my yeah. coach said too. She was like, the only way that you fail is if you don't do it. Stop. Yeah. 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 If you give up or if you don't do it at all. Yeah. Um, you said, I want to show the world that there is nothing worse than, wa- than wasted potential or a missed opportunity in one's lifetime. Mediocrity is not an option for me, which I love. I aim for greatness in everything I do. And you do. She sounds like a wonderful person, whoever wrote this. <laughs> <laughs> Who is that? I need to be her friend. <laughs> That's how I felt when I was reading it. I was like, oh my Aww. God, she's friends with me. Aww. <laughs> Well, thank you. I know we've already been talking for like an hour and a half almost. Um, I do want to touch a little bit on what I feel like we kind of already have throughout the podcast, but um, women supporting women, that's obviously something that it, that you, a cause that you can get behind. Do you feel like um, you have a lot of supportive women in, around you as well, or is it kind of hard? I feel like I am the supportive women in women in my life to a lot of females that kind of drove them to believing that they need to do the same thing. Yeah. Um, to I, seeing that it's not a competition, like we can all right, win together. Right. And then I think kind of like the approach that you saw, how we met, like I'm always smiling to people and, mm-hmm. and then a lot of people will take it as a sign of weakness. Like she really is trying too hard and it's fine. If I'm, if you think I'm trying too hard, then you're not the friend I need to be with. Right. <laughs> um, but that's like my approach is I'm always the type of person, like I will, you know, dive in headfirst into anything. And when it comes to relationships, like, you know, friendships and people that I know, jobs that I get, anything that I do, I tend to just go for it. And then if it doesn't work out, then it doesn't work out. So I feel like a lot of my close friends and I, most of my friends are guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but the few girlfriends that I have, and I'm really close to the, the ones that they see that by supporting other women, you're actually being a true friend because right. they see how I am with them. 
Um, and it's genuine. There, yeah. I was talking to a male friend of mine about this last week, and he said there's not a lot of women that have a lot of genuine friendships with other women. Yeah. Because we're, it's, I feel like a nature thing, like just competitive, by nature we're competitive, and then we feel like and we're insecure, and we feel right. like that if we are supportive of somebody else or we if they're more successful then we're not going to be as successful to be fair i've met a lot of women in my life that when i approach them and i feel like they're not approachable and then as soon as i start talking to them and having a conversation and showing them who i really am you'll find out that they're not what you think they are like exactly and i feel like they're waiting for you to open up so therefore they can open up and then all of a sudden like you see like oh they were just so closed off because of what they hear about other women. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, that's why I say like, normally I just like smile, walk around and say hello to everybody. And, and I try to do this because I know that it's hard for them to see who I am. And a lot of right. people say like, Oh, it's hard to walk up to you and say hello. And that whenever I go to a trade show for work, I'm like, come up to me, say hello. And I'll post on my Instagram. I'll post on my LinkedIn. I'm like, come up to me, say hello, say hi to me. I will say hi back. And I had a message from a guy actually that went to summer smash for a first form, which I missed because I was at the army. Uh, he sent me a message and he's like, everybody's going to miss you because you're one of these people that you don't look like you should be nice. Mm-hmm. But then when you start talking yeah, to people, you, you're yeah, like, people, yeah. Yeah. and when he said that, I was like, that is so sweet. And he wasn't hitting on me or anything. Like he was just being genuine. He's like, it's one of, one of these things that you don't expect somebody like you to actually respond to us or talk to us. And, and I was like, well, that's bullshit. And you know, like if you see me smiling and he's like, but you know, like, that's what I've been hearing. Like, that's what a lot of women are so afraid to talk and approach other women because they think they're going to be shitty to them. But when mm-hmm. they see you smiling, so I feel like it's kind of our job, me and you and other people out there that don't have an issue with another, like other females being successful to kind of like start. Break that down. Yeah. yeah because once like we do it, once we support each other, once we like share other people's successes. And when I first started my podcast, I had nothing but women share my, my podcast on their uh, Instagram page and they were women like I met once or twice and they were like you know you, this is the definition of badass and I was over like literally it was so overwhelmed with the love and I'm like for a woman to support another like it literally it's like lot, warmed my yeah. heart so I feel like sometimes when one person just break that cycle then you'll see who you can re- reveal a lot of very supportive women too yeah and I think that once you do that whenever because I was like at first I wouldn't go out of my way to like compliment another woman or to comment on her stuff or support yeah. her or whatever. And now I do. Yeah. And that to me, what I've realized is more rewarding than like, yeah. than getting those comments or yeah. like getting that support because it's like just to be that comfortable with yeah. where you are that I don't need, I don't need you. Yeah. To, I don't need your. And just whatever. to be the person that starts and, and give them that compliment is so empowering. Like you're yeah. the badass that like, Hey, like I, in the gym, like there were so many women that would like, look at me like, hmm, and I walk up and like, love these shoes. And I yes, just, yeah. And I'll walk away. Like, I'm not doing it so I can have a conversation. I'm pointing something out and I'm walking away. Like, yeah. I'm good. Um, and I feel like those women end up like saying hello the next right. day or they talk to me the next time because when I used to go to like, cause I used to go to a lot of gyms and nobody would talk and yeah. none of the women would talk, but I thought maybe, maybe I give that vibe that I'm not friendly. So when I start complimenting, I feel like people start talking. Yeah. But she doesn't want to talk. 
at yeah. the gym. Don't, don't interrupt a workout. No, no, no. I want to go to the gym together, but separate. Yeah, that's what we do. She'll be like, hey, do you want to go to the gym together? Let's meet at four. And, and then we just we wave at each other. Yeah, yeah. We walk in together and then we both put on our headphones and we're like, okay, I'll see you later. And like, we're done. We go and check in, maybe make sure we're not dying. Give each other a wave across the gym. <laughs> it's like when she walks up to me and I'm like, oh God, what, yeah. what do you want? What do you want? Right, I yeah. put my headphones back on. Your form looks fine. Like, go talk to your coach. I'm like, I, I love that you get it. Cause I'm like, I don't li- I like the gym. I like talk to people, but I'm like, I don't, but I do. Right. Because it's like a thing of, I feel like I'm constant. I'm so very independent and, um, and I like, I mean, it's I, we time. have to be extroverted with work. Like yeah. we have to, we're in sales. Yes. You all day long are yeah. like having conversations yeah. and, and a lot of time being in sales, you're like carrying the conversation yeah. on your back. Yeah. And so whenever I'm not working, I'm, I'm like, I don't want to talk to anybody. Yeah. Um, but, so it's, but then you also, I'm are not going to be like, nice if I'm not getting paid yeah. for it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you're not, yeah. if you're not paying me for you're it, not you're not going to get the, the nice me. <laughs> I told my friends, I'm like, I'm an asshole. It's okay. (laughs) But I feel like sometimes it's like, I want, I still want to be alone and like do my thing, but I want like company or somebody to be there. I just want to know somebody else out there is suffering at the same time I'm suffering. If I'm going to be at the gym and working out and sweating and God knows how my breast breast smells like, just say breast. (laughs) My breasts, my breasts smell like, um, you know, like drinking my energy drink and downing the water, peeing every two seconds, sweating. My pants are like sticking on me when I peel. I have to like peel them off. All that stuff. I want to know that somebody else is it's struggling and to see thing. you struggle at the same time. That's enough. Like right, I, yeah. I don't need to talk with you. Yeah. I don't need to talk. There's no friendship Misery needed. Misery loves company. Yeah. Yeah. You'd be miserable. And I hope, I hope you're starving too. <laughs> Well, thank you. I'm going to kind of, I guess, wrap this up because we've been talking for an hour and a half. Jesus, you talk a lot. I know, right? (laughs) If you ask the boss a question, you'll get an autobiography. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Tell me me where I'm from and I'm going to write you a letter. (laughs) But seriously, thank you so much for being on my podcast. And really, I'm just, um, and for sharing your story with me. And I'm excited. It's all lies. It's all lies. I'm excited for you to share it with other people and now like to continue to watch you grow and see um, everything that you accomplish. And I feel like I can learn a lot from you. Um, so tell people where they can, if anybody wants to follow you on. It's really tough like to find my podcast because it's just my first and last name. So <laughs> <laughs> it's just the Nebraska Hike podcast. It's uh, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Anchor. Um, a, a lot of other platforms that I don't even know, yeah. but I just know that if Wherever, you go to, yeah. if you go on Spotify, if you just Google the Nebraska hike podcast, you should be able to pull it up. And, um, I haven't been posting a lot, but I'm going to be, you know, sharing a lot more episodes now that I got back from the army training. So mm-hmm. hopefully people can subscribe and share their yes. experience. Cause I want to know, I really want to know, like I'm getting a lot of feedbacks, um, on the episodes that I had. And the only feedback that I've been getting consistently is that I need to talk more. And I'm like, wow, like nobody's ever said that before. So (laughs) people tell me to shut up all the time. So, so yeah, I would love to hear um, the feedback from everybody. Yeah, for sure. So Nabras Hayek podcast, uh, Nabras Hayek on, is it just your name on Instagram? Yeah. It's it's such an odd name that everywhere, like Nabras Hayek, Junior Nabras Hayek on LinkedIn, everywhere just fine. First and last name. I can't hide from people that easily. Yeah. 
Well, thank you for being here. And uh, thank you for having me. Yeah. Out of words, aren't you? You what? I said you're out of words now. (laughs) (laughs) No, thank you for having me. It was really nice to share this, you know, not just write you a letter to talk right, about right, it. Yeah. To actually, to actually talk, talk about, about it. Yeah. It, it was yeah. cool to actually get to sit down and talk to you and like get to know you and your story more rather than just going to the gym and ignoring each other. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> amen. <laughs> All right. That is a wrap on another episode of the Ash Cheeks podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you to Nabras for coming on and sharing her story. I hope all of you got to know. It's hard to talk. I hope all of you got to know Nabras a little bit better and could see how incredible she is. Follow her on Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, TikTok. Listen to the Nabras Hayek podcast. I know lots of amazing things are to come from her. And come back next week. Um, Next week I will have another episode, I believe, with my brother talking about um, his struggle with addiction, overcoming that, where he's at in his sobriety right now. And we're going to discuss The Four Agreements. We both have been reading that book lately. It's such a good book. It's a quick, easy read. I honestly think everybody should read it. Um, I'm going to be reading it every couple of months. I've read it several times now. It just brings me a lot of peace. And so, yeah, we'll have a good discussion surrounding that. So that's all for now. I will see you bitches next week. And in case someone has told you yet today, I love you. Oh,